0: How about if I beatbox?
1: <laughs> is, is that good? Did you
2: have that recorded? well, okay, welcome to Our grind Podcast. I'm here with Joshua Henderson. Dina Brodsky, myself, and our special guest Jonathan Levine or Levine. 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 So uh, your gallery is one that has been on my radar for years. In fact, I actually I read you had like a little coffee table book about your gallery at some point. Mm-hmm. I read that, and I've always followed you because you've had such a great aesthetic. I mean, I remember Phil Hale was showing at your gallery. I was like, holy shit. The, guys are the greatest ever and then
0: just
3: a show where it was Shepard Ferry that was really awesome the... oh did you see
0: the Shepherd show? Yeah. that was in 2007 did you see because I had a double show with him I had one in my gallery on 20th street and one giant space in, in Dumbo
3: um, I saw the one on 20th street okay. it was fantastic
0: yeah.
2: before we get into
0: current stuff
2: I want to go back to your story where you came from I mean how did you start your love of arts? I know a, a bit about your CBGB story. I want to get it.
3: But, but more Marshall, and I'm not sure about Joshua, but we've yeah we've stopped your gallery for years. Well, so it, Thank it's, you. for uh, sure. It's, it's it's an honor having you here. Well, I really appreciate
0: that. It's good for my ego. That's <laughs> good if you tell me I look young for my age. Um, <laughs> yeah.
3: you, you look young. And we 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 you know, but we've obsessed about your gallery yeah, for. I
0: appreciate. <laughs> it. No,
2: and that's that's not platitudes either. Like literally, your gallery is one of the ones I've been to it's particularly the Chelsea one more than other galleries around mm. I was always looking into it it seems like your aesthetic always lined up with mine to a large part a little bit you know a lot of skill-based stuff but sort of on the lower brow end of things sure. type thing that that's that's definitely what I'm into
0: so where where'd you grow up what's uh so I grew up in Trenton New Jersey which is one hour south of here and uh my family's lived in Trenton for, one side of my family's lived in Trenton for over 125 years. Whoa. That is the Italian side of my family.
2: Whoa. So I'm half
0: Napolitano, my family's from Naples, and I'm half Jewish. Okay. Or Ashkenazi, however you say. Um, and so that's where I grew up.
2: And, and is, is it your mother, father on the Irish side, or the Italian my side? My mother's Italian, my father's Jewish. Okay. And Ashkenazi, that's like kind of Russian, right? Oh, that's another it's longer...
0: The same, it's the same with me. Like, she not... and I are the same. Russian. Yeah. Ashkenazi. Yeah, it's, it, two, it's another conversation to talk about what that so, means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so
3: basically it's kind of the... Um, it, not the, Sephardic, uh, I know yeah, that. the so, 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 so Sephardic ones are kind of like... The, the really good looking and gregarious ones and <laughs> they're, they're ones, like the, right? the darker
0: ones like Spanish maybe I mean, maybe they were in North Africa sort of thing but the Ashkenazi are, the majority of Jews are in Ashkenazi okay and they cost either Eastern European Jews but essentially from what I know we're basically they can trace our, our lineage back to 300 people that were basically in the southern all Europe been in, oh wow in
3: interbreeding with each other That's, yes and they've people. all been
0: interbreeding with each other Continuously up until probably my generation. So
3: we're, we're actually probably related.
0: <laughs> Most likely, yes, exactly. We need twenty-six
2: of me. What does that take? 23, Twenty-three of me. Of me yeah. I could
0: talk about that forever too, as well. I'm, I was on. I, you it, did it. I did it. What did it say? What's that? I said that I was half Ashkenazi, uh, about forty-five percent Italian, um, a little wow. bit just southern European and a little Middle Eastern which would make sense because I'm a if you're Italian there's a good chance that you have some Mediterranean or North African in you because it's so close oh uh, yeah yeah
2: yeah so but from there uh, so
0: so I grew up in Trenton
2: grew up in Trenton Trent's rough right it was yeah rough you
0: know road. how do I explain Trenton uh, I and not go on too long it. I have a tendency to like sort of go free there. but uh, that kind of plays into my story though because like you know anyone kind of people who know me You know, I was kind of a nominally in the art world because I was not, um, I didn't come, the typical stereotype is two, in my mind, two types of, well, three types of people. You're either like a blue blood. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's offensive to say that. Waspy, coming from money, Upper East Side. Uh If you're Jewish, you're wealthy and you come from Long Island and you have wealthy parents, right? Or you're a European. Mm -hmm. You're some rich European. I wasn't any of those things. I was, for all intents and purposes, I was really used to blue-collar Italian-American from Trenton. I have a Jewish name, so there's a lot of assumptions that are made about me. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm connected with my Jewish heritage, but I was really culturally raised, very Italian-American. And I was a punk rock kid, and I didn't have wealthy parents, and I I wasn't given a ton of money to open a gallery in New York City. Right, right.
3: I think you are the
0: first heavily tattooed gallerist we, we found out.
2: Probably. So what did that look like though, being a punk rock kid, Trent New Jersey? Well, the thing about Trent New out.
0: Jersey is, and I could talk about this forever, and there's a lot of information out there about it. It happened to be that Trent New Jersey had one of the biggest punk rock clubs in the whole country
4: mm-hmm. in
0: the mid-80s. It was called City Gardens. There a documentary about it. There's a book written about it. Um, and it's called Ride on the Dance Floor's I think the... One of the, one, one of the movies is called... I think the movie is called Riot on the Dance Floor and the book called No... I can't remember. Well,
2: the Misfits been. were from around there, right? Like Lodi No, M- like? Misfits
0: are from Lodi, which is next to where I live. Right, uh, right, right. That's right. North Jersey. Okay. Um, but So City Gardens Club was open in the early 80s to the early 90s. And basically, it was five minutes from my house. So okay. like every single... It wasn't just punk rock music, but every, like, punk rock hardcore band at that time came through it Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, mm-hmm. Circle Jerks, to British bands like GBH and The Exploited, too you would have, like, um, th- in the Ramones, you'd play there, like, 50 times. But you'd also <laughs> have bands, like, throughout that period of time, like, Toots and the Maytals, which is, like, a ska, a reggae band. Sure. Or you would have, like, all these, you'd have, like not Joy Division New Order play there or any kind of Oh really? Any kind of like because you have to remember at those times none of those bands would play these giant venues so I remember like you know you'd have like uh, Iggy Pop playing there you'd have as the time went you had like Sinead O'Connor so it'd be a mix of that stuff I wasn't paying as much attention to I was really like a into hardcore music, mm-hmm. and but but in the early '90s, like every band on sub pop played there. So like Nirvana, Soundgarden, like every right. what would become every major rock band. It was a thousand person venue, and it was in a wow. ghetto ass neighborhood. So so like
2: did the Feelies run through there at all? Oh, I'm sure the
0: Feelies played. That's funny you would know that band. <laughs> um, but you know, like bands that got huge, be it the Red Hot Chili Peppers or just any. So it's like
2: kind of an extension of like. Maxwell's and Hoboken or something? It was much
0: bigger than Maxwell's. Sure, bigger. I don't know if you know, but I used to curate at Maxwell's. That's another place. That's where I started. Oh, that's yeah. where you... Well, I knew you'd, you start at start
2: at No, I actually too, right? started at
0: Maxwell's, and then First, moved on to C B Okay. Because I'm a big music guy, right? So, but I grew up in Trenton, having grown up in Trenton with this sort of... And I could literally talk about Trenton and the people that I was exposed to there. Like, I grew up with... Uh, you know this band, Ween? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So there's like a Dean and Gene Ween. <laughs> so I guess, it's D, does Mickey go by Dean Ween? So Mickey's the guitar player.
2: Oh, maybe it's just Gene Ween. Is that, is that Gene Ween?
0: I'm not I can't sure. Remember. I don't even know. But I've literally <laughs> known them since they were 13 years old.
2: Really? Yeah. Oh, they're and I can hilarious. let her
0: talk about that as well because actually Mickey, when he was 13 years old, he was a DJ on this local um, college radio station I used to listen to. And he did His voice hadn't changed yet. He sounded like a girl, and he used to go by Mickey the Dicky. <laughs> I can literally talk about this guy for a half an hour at least. And um, and I have a few years. I was like sixteen or fifteen. I was two years older than, than him. And I remember I won a bunch of records, and I went down the radio station, which was like two miles from my house. And that was at the time called Trenton State College, now called College of New Jersey. Okay, it's like this good decent state college in Jersey, and. Um, I went down and I met him like oh it's a boy because his voice hadn't changed okay. and he had this joke band called Ween and him and his friend Aaron who's the singer um, would basically just play music and recorded all these boomboxes and he would always be giving me cassettes because we both put out fanzines
2: oh yeah the, the air of the fanzines yes. is so great and
0: he had a fanzine called Yuck and mine was called Faith and he taught me how to sell my fanzines to people when I, we would go to shows and we'd sell our, show, our fanzines at at shows at the city gardens
2: so you really learned this DIY thing from back then yes
0: like that was really hardcore kid. like I had a record label I had this fanzine I used to book shows I used to write I used to write for maximum rock and roll oh wow! you know that magazine sure you know what it is you know that was like the Bible back in the uh-huh. you know eighties. Yeah, yeah. um, and I had this so and because of I had this access to this club and I just was like always like sort of a, an entrepreneur creator type not that mm-hmm. I looked at myself that way at the time I developed a relationship with the, the booking agent who I'm still friends with now his name is Randy Now Okay. Um, and so when bands would come on tour like for example I developed a really strong relationship I'm still friends with them to this day with this band Seven Seconds do you know this band I don't they were know. a band from Reno Nevada Okay. and they were like pre like straight edge like punk rock music and they actually just broke up they finally called it a day um,
1: they had a good run, <laughs> yes. But they would
0: come and they'd stay at my house, and they'd stay on, you know, on tour, and like so. I had access to, and the interesting thing is, a lot of those people that I grew up with that were involved in that community, I'm still friends with them. That's awesome. So many of them.
2: Well, that that scene, especially in that era, felt so dangerous and kind of truly counterculture, where. I don't think people understand how weird it was to even have like a skull on your shirt, in the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and now and now it's like you know you, you see kids and babies in Park Slope strollers with skulls on their shirts. Like everything's totally. I saw true. you know who, you know Sam Hane. Yeah, sure.
0: I saw Sam Hain One a Danzig's band. band. So that was Dan Glenn Danzig of the Misfits' second band. Uh huh. And I saw them play when I was 16 years old on Halloween oh, in 1985. God.
2: Hanging meat from the rafters and shit.
0: Yeah, well, I don't remember them doing that, but I just, just like, and I didn't even realize what I was seeing.
2: But what was that like for you growing up, like with your with your parents? Were they encouraging? Were they like, boy, this one's wild? What was that? What was the feeling? Uh,
0: for me, you guys really want to talk about this because I can talk I love about it. this forever. For, for sure. me, growing yes, up, <laughs> um, I was like a, a short, pudgy, weird looking, you know. Kid growing up in this racially mixed working class community. And I have to say racially mixed because at the time, a racially mixed community in the seventies and the early eighties, as 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 when you're young, you know, it, it was very polarized. The world's a very different place. The world's a very different place for you guys than it mm-hmm. is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, and or you know, you and your formative years is very different. And you can say, look at these kids; they don't even know well. The world's moving so quickly. Um, you know, I think that was a, a very important component of my life is that I was in this like racially mixed community that was kind of polarized, but they got mm-hmm. along.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, yeah. And back then, a short pudgy white kid who, I used to be b b-boy too, so I used to break dance. That I was, was just great. weird. I worked at a hair salon. Everybody thought I was gay. <laughs> uh, I had a baby face. People thought I was a girl, so I was always a weirdo. I was a creative weirdo, and um, my father wasn't around, so like you know, I, I my mother got remarried when I was 12, my dad left when I was one, so like I just okay. had, had this close relationship with my mother, and I always had friends. All my friends were women, so everyone was like, Oh, that guy's maybe I was kind of effeminate. These days, I would be really cool, it would uh-huh. be super cool. Yeah, well, I don't even know. Nowadays, it wouldn't even matter. Metrosexual—that's not cool even to say anymore. You know, that's like—I'd uh, be. Uh, yeah, that's so like 2008. Yeah, <laughs> right, I think, Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I dealt with—I um, I dealt with a, lot of, a lot of shit from people because of that. For sure. And. Um,
2: but that punk rock scene's pretty welcoming. Well, so, so what happened, happened was I, I
0: kind of fell into that, and it. Although that punk rock scene in a lot of ways during that time was also very, like, a bit of fascist. But I found a, a place for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I started to, you know, my mom always had issues with my parents. You know, my mother was this traditional Italian-American woman. And my she, remar- she remarried my stepfather who was, his last name is Metzger. He's like a wasp, kind of, you know. Okay. He's Presbyterian. So I was like raised in the Catholic faith I used to go to Jewish summer camp the JCC oh, and God. and we celebrate holidays with my grandparents when I was really young and then my mother married a Presbyterian so I got dragged through these three faiths <laughs> kind of weird um, so but I was just like this weirdo kid and so then when I got into, when I found that I guess it's sort of uh, well the scene was really tough it's tough especially in Trenton you know so tough. like I, what happened was I sort of I guess it's when I sort of have like I changed I got like I I always say that that was the time that I got like, you know in a weird way I got like uh, socialized because like I for whatever reason I hadn't I never had a lot of guy friends and I sort of had to become this like little bit tough guy because mm-hmm. I otherwise I would just be constantly getting picked on and you couldn't have like. Spiky hair, and like we would be wearing like motorcycle boots and whatever. If you see it now, i would be like, Oh, that's so lame. But back then, if you shaved your head, that was a statement. Oh, it was a huge for statement. Sure. We were constantly getting in fights, we were uh-huh. constantly getting harassed. I mean, I could tell you horror stories. The world was a much different place, yeah, and you really had to pay for it. Uh huh. And so, yeah, it was rough, but yep. it was my place, uh-huh. and I would go there, and you know, we it was our place, like. It was like if you got in a fight. This is—it's funny to like to talk to you guys about this, but uh, I had these skinhead kids from Princeton. So Princeton's not that far from Trent. So like, the weirdest thing about City Gardens was all these kids, and it was a predominantly white audience. All these kids would come from the surrounding areas, from sort, sort of more um, upper middle class, affluent communities, because mm-hmm. those are the kids that had access to punk rock. Working class kids from Trenton didn't have access to punk rock. It was almost like an intellectual. It's like too artsy.
2: Oh, really? Like,
0: we were just way too fucking blue collar to have access to that. So the
2: blue collar was more just like listening to scorpions or Yeah, whatever. absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: That's right. And you got a handful of kids in each little town around Trenton. Like, we were, I remember they did that, they they, they, they did the documentary and they did the book and they started to interview people and they didn't know any from Trenton and they got in touch with me. I'm like, yeah, well, that's because there was about. 30 of us.
4: Uh-huh.
0: All the, everyone else, I mean, people used to come down from New York to see shows. Um, they came from Philly all over to see these shows because it's like, you couldn't, they were all-ages shows and they didn't have big all-ages shows like this in Philly and they certainly didn't have this much in New York either. You'd have to go to CB's, and Seabees was really small. Really so,
2: And that was an arty crowd too with like talking heads
0: and That's that the 70s, sure. not the 80s.
2: Oh, in the, a- yeah, the okay, 80s, yeah. The 80s was just
0: violent fucking,
3: Yeah, I've got to see three like like now even now like like, like tomorrow
0: (laughs) well it's the world's a different place then but Uh the world's a different place so but back then you know everyone would be like oh and the kids would drive in from wherever they came from it's funny to hear all my friends that I'm friends with from Jersey who would drive in the train and be like oh man Calhoun Street right (laughs) and and they would talk about it and to them they were so scared but like I'm like well not that I grew up in this ghetto ass neighborhood, but it was just down the street from me. Yeah, the the funny thing is to talk about this some more. So one of the people who used to work there, um, when he I think he was just out of college, he was in his early twenties, was John Stewart. Oh yeah. So John Stewart used to work there and when they did the documentary or they were doing the book, they actually got on they went on the John Stewart show. The two the girl the two people who wrote it and Gibby Haynes is the singer of the Butthole Surfers. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know, sure. know that band because they played there a bunch. But he was from Trenton, and so because it was like if you look it up, this movie up, you'll see he he talks a little bit about it. But
2: he um, would always sing through like the megaphone type thing.
0: Oh, Gibby Haynes would yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it Trenton is a rough place. It mm-hmm. still is a rough place. If it's not where you're from, you're going to be scared. Yeah, um, I love Trenton though. So. I think what I got from that time was one of the things that I got it from that and I used to talk about this a lot was I got this whole DIY aesthetic and that is what my business grew out of. Mm-hmm. My business grew out of my love for music and my involvement in that, which is kind of a very long conversation. Um but I was entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And my mother always used to say it was a little Jewish merchant in me (laughs) because the Italians aren't so good What was your first
3: first business? Was it the fanzines?
0: No, you know, what? as early as like I was maybe six years old, I lived in this giant apartment complex and these gigantic garden apartment complex. I've never seen one actually larger. It's called Delaware Heights, still in the town I grew up in. And um, I used to go door to door selling... uh, Greeting cards or stuff that I made because I used to read comic books. This is probably like 1975 or something. Okay. And you could order the way they did it back then. It's like, you want to, hey, kids, you want to make a bunch of money? Write your name, we'll send you. And they'd send you a case of greeting cards. So all of a sudden, I had a case of greeting cards. (laughs) Product. And I would like come to the door and they're like, how much? $3. And people would just buy them from you because you were a cute kid. (laughs) Right? And so then it was like seeds and. I remember seeds so was a thing, and then I started making my own crafts and selling those, and I would just knock on the door, this is, you know, and,
3: yeah, and... I feel like that kind of almost breeds a certain fearlessness. Like, if you're not... The person is a kid who's not afraid to knock on a stranger's door at six is probably not going to be afraid, I don't know, do, doing some other... Well, you know, it's, I was
0: naturally a salesperson, you know, it's not my, like, I'm... There's way better salespeople than me, and the, selling is not my focus, In terms of like... I mean, I'm selling... I mean, promoting is marketing is selling, essentially. So it is kind of my focus. But it's not my only... If that was my focus, I wouldn't have opened a gallery. I just would have done something else. I mean, I've had a lot of different jobs. I was a creative. I have an art degree. I was a visual artist. And I fell into being a gower. So at one point, I was a real estate agent back in the mid-90s. I can be so fucking filthy rich right now. I can curse on this. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, but I just... I, I, I couldn't do it because I, could, I couldn't I could work for the man, I couldn't compromise, I had to follow my, my passion, which has led me up and down, you know, so, <laughs> As passions will. yeah, you know, so it's not like it's, um
2: well, and you sound kind of like me in the way that when we were kids, like, artists to me were like Raymond Pettibone and... Robert Williams and these type of people because yeah. it was like you're just pouring over record covers that are like Yeah, absolutely. What the oh. fuck is this? Oh you know? that's
0: totally you should mention that, that you know people are like um uh, my, my total introduction to all this pre juxtapose because juxtapose didn't start coming out until I was like until like ninety-four. Yeah. And in uh, nineteen ninety-four I was twenty-five years old. Mm-hmm. Twenty-four years old. Mm-hmm. And I was well-steeped in all this stuff because I grew up with buying records. Yep, yep. Record cover art, underground comics. Like, pretty much everything that is the scene that I'm involved in, I can talk about it from its early phases because it, I lived it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Before it became like a movement and then whatever it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but record cover art was a huge huge part of that huge
2: i mean i mean I, I came a little later to that scene but that was definitely my scene well you guys didn't
0: have records when you were a kid. <laughs> well but cds for <laughs> yeah. sure and i've always
2: been a little bit of a vinyl nerd but like i think i figured out gerhard richter through daydream nation cover you know it's like, right. <laughs> it's right. like cool candle who did this right. you know
0: um, well that's how i learned about a lot of artists or i, I later i be found out like Honestly, I was not a Guns N' Roses fan, I was like oh Robert Williams did that cover. But I knew great, his great other work from other stuff, but you know, or I grew up with yes covers or I can mm-hmm. tell you like off the top of my head immediately, because we used to go to the record store, I started buying records when I was six. So one other thing I should throw in here is I play music. Did I mention this?
2: No. What what do you what do you play? <laughs>
3: That, but uh, I play the
0: drums yes I'm a drummer what kind
2: of what kind of band what kind of music my,
0: the current band that I'm in right now we're called Cyclone Static so it's like punk influenced rock you know what I think a lot of times people depends who's listening to it and what their their reference is um, it's very 90s sounding I would say okay um, you know people have compared us to like Nirvana or then I have people my friends they say we sound like I don't know if you guys are familiar with these bands like Sam I Am or yeah I can't so like you know like 80s, 90s, kind of. I mean, so it's poppier than what you were listening it's, to in Oh, yeah. Our band, my band is, we play really catchy, really catchy songs that are melodic, but it's heavy.
2: Probably. Okay. I think, I don't know. I think music is such an impactful art form. Like, I think it, it I think it's more so than. Images, I talk a lot about it more so than paintings, like it just gets in your blood. Well, like, is music I is. I feel like we've
3: had so many artists here who are also musicians. Oh, well, yeah, you know, Wade, for like, sure. Well, Wade, but also Steve Shaheen. And oh, Paul right, also. yeah, he's in a grunge band. And Steve who Shaheen. else were we talking about? I, I mean, I feel like we talked like half the people we've had on here. Well, were, like, it would seem to me oh, yeah, that, and I play music too. <laughs>
0: creatives are like, because I, you know, and people think of me as a gallerist. And I think of myself as a gal but I think of myself as a lot of other things, and so I talk about these things just so you know. Because you know, any anyone who kind of knows me knows like my whole thing right these days is like, you know, I'm really into my band. Like I have a lot of fun doing that. You're like yeah. talk to Jonathan his band; he's really excited about that. You know, <laughs> um, and it's a, you know, on my I just I, we had a 50th birthday a couple weeks ago. And my I had my band play. and it was like, I'm fifty years old and I'm playing in my band. This is great. It's so cool. fun, you know? Cool. And so I gotta come out to one of your shows. I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you do. But I
2: think like a lot of the art that that, that that we do, it's adjacent to your gallery, but it's a little stuffier in a way. And I feel like the image of people have of people making the type of art is like, Classical music and like you know just very serious and very, and it's like that wasn't where I came from at all. I like that. I like the aesthetic. I like you know really well built paintings and stuff. But it's like I, I remember learning how to do what I did, and it was like always a room full of like me and like you know fifteen old ladies and like classical music. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, because <laughs> I feel like
3: like I, I, like I actually feel like based on like. The people that we know, and the people whose work we like, and the people we interviewed here—there's a lot more. Like, like, is a more almost the more classical someone's wasn't Ed Menil in a band too? Was it like that? Like, the more classical someone's work is, the more likely they are to be like, "Oh yeah," and then there was a time I was like sleeping under a bridge. Or well, a band. I think that
0: that's how we've been. We were raised about art. It's a very serious. Uh huh. Right. Take, take yourself very seriously and. One of the reasons I started my gallery, I started doing what I was doing is because I I was 23 years old, 22 years old, 24 years, whatever I was. And I was walking through Soho, I'd come in here, I, I bounced around to a bunch of schools, but I finished school in Montclair State College. Now it's Montclair State University, which is 10 miles or 12 miles as the eagle flies.
2: Montclair really? is like the typical American suburb.
0: Like, no, it it's not. Well, it's rich. Have you been there? Yeah, yeah. It's like they compare. It's like Park Slope out in the suburbs, uh-huh. except it's really wealthy and it's mm-hmm. super liberal and it's it's actually the coolest town in New Jersey. It's well, great. Yeah, R- yeah, Montclair, Asbury Park, and Red Bank are probably the three coolest towns. Where James
3: Edelman's from? Um, is James from there? Yeah, this is someone whose work you would like,
0: actually. I mean, there's a lot of celebrities. You know who, li- who is a Colbert lives there. Does he? Yeah, well, all sorts of people. But Montclair is a... But when I went to school there, that's the interesting thing. So Montclair is a sort of affluent, upper-middle-class town. But Montclair State University, or was Montclair State College, is a state college. Okay, So if you grew up in that town, when I was going to school there, things have changed a lot. Economics have changed a lot because colleges have cost a lot more money to go. Um, to You sent your kid to private school Those kids did not go to Montclair State Montclair State was on the very far end of Montclair And the town didn't interact with it mm-hmm. It was considered It was like the third It was Rutgers, Trent State College Now College of New Jersey And then Montclair State It was the working class commuter school ki- School that kids went to And it wasn't fancy But you know educate. It was, it was a good deal for the money Mm-hmm. And they had, like, OKR program, but it wasn't great. Yes, I went to
3: school, I went to a state school that was very much like that. And there were several kinds of people in there. And I feel like, so one kind was just, like, the kids who, well, couldn't get anywhere else and really wanted to party. Um, and then, then there was the kids who probably, could, you know, like, who just really fucked up in high school. Um, and then there was some really, really smart kids who, for, who, who for whatever reason their family couldn't or wouldn't, you know, like w- j- just couldn't afford a yeah. private school. And it was a really interesting, cool mix of people. Like, because... Like, I mean, quite like,
0: honestly, it was, it was a hundred percent a commuter school. It was the best thing that ever happened. I only was there for two years, but cause I was keep, I bounced around a bunch of schools. The friends that I made then I'm still friends with. They're still my best friends. Mm. Um... And because you had a, you'd have, a, say there's, three hundred kids. Who, there's like I don't know, a couple like a thousand kids in the art program, and the facilities weren't that great. But all the teachers lived in New York, and so you got that perspective. They all take the bus, and you know they, okay. they were like old. They were like my parents' age, you know. My parents are now in their seventies, so and some and older than that. So they had experiences with the old New York art world. So that was great to have that. And it was great to be able to come in the city so excessively. Um, so that's what you got from that. But basically, if you applied yourself there, you could do okay. And that's what I did. But it wasn't like you didn't have this great studio space and all this, that. You didn't get you didn't getting a lot of great feedback. Mm-hmm. You weren't getting all this. But it was probably better than most art programs.
2: <laughs> and what, what were you doing there? Like, what sort of art were you oh,
0: doing? Oh, I have there? a sculpture degree. Okay. I got a degree in sculpture, and I got a minor in, like, fiber arts. Oh, wow. And my teacher, there was really basically one sculpture teacher, and there was an adjunct. And my sculpture teacher was really into, interestingly enough, he was really into, you guys know who Tony Smith is? I don't think He was, is. like, this minimalist. He did, like, these steel beam sculptures. And he actually was from New Jersey. It's probably why... My teacher came to Montclair because he was like from Minnesota, and he was so into this like minimalist steel, and he was really into conceptual work.
2: Wait, is that David Smith though? The, those big like... Kind oh, maybe of, did I was it
0: is it David Smith or Tony Smith? I thought David it
2: was, Smith did those big like kind of steel blocks that had the finish on them that were really cool.
0: Why do I think it's Tony Smith? He's from West Orange, New Jersey, and his daughter is Kiki Smith. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... But yeah, so like I had this teacher Walter Swales who was really in the conceptual work, and I had been going to school in Oregon for a while, for a couple of years, and I had I was really like my I could really talk about what really um, I you know I was coming out of this whole punk rock scene. I was really into craft, had a history when I was a kid growing up. As a teenager, I wasn't I was making things. I I wasn't like an artist. People didn't think, oh, that guy Jonathan is an artist. I was like this weirdo kid. He was creative. I break danced, I so I was really into sewing, I used to make crafts, It's another reason really? I thought I was gay, I walked worked across the street from the high school at a hair salon, because my best friend was this girl, Jamie Lloyd, and her mom was Donna, and she gave me, a, I started working there when I was 13. Oh, it's so great, 13, and I was 13 years poor old, poor labor laws, and, well, no, you could, you could, it was fine, you know, I grew up with them, it's a. It's a that's another story, I can tell you about, um, but so I was like sweeping floors and setting appointments and washing towels, whatever. I was it was fine to do that. And so I was into like and I did some theater and I wrote poetry and I thought I wanted to do it's Like school. a renaissance man. Yeah, you know, like typical creative, you know? Yeah, for but not sure. really knowing. And I was the whole time I was always selling stuff. I was selling like feather you guys, I can
2: see your future in this
0: 13-year-old kid. I had no idea that I... There was no no nowhere in that time where I was like, yeah, I'd like to be a gallerist. <laughs> like, what? I didn't even like New York City. Really? I actually hated New York City. Oh, was it... What was it? Like a chip on your shoulder? What no, was it? No, no, it? no, It wasn't that at all. I just was like, I come up to New York when I was a kid, you take field trips. I remember going to the... Uh, you take field trips. It's an hour away. I remember one particular field trip where I remember is going to the... Museum of Natural History, and uh, yeah. we were in the elevator to go see the whale, and, and Clifford Child—that's what his name—punched me right in the face. <laughs> Clifford, <laughs> he snuck a jerk. me, he snuck me, somebody, he still going to give a quick little punch in the face. Clifford Child—he got kicked out of school for me. I think he like hit somebody over the head with a chair or something like that. He was I wonder like, where
2: Clifford Childs ended up.
0: I don't know. Um, and <laughs> That
3: was his futures yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, it could have
0: turned out really good. You never know. I saw all sorts of kids I thought were assholes that I grew up with turned out real, real well. Actually, hmm. truth be told, people change. You know. <laughs> I, mean,
4: I
3: mean, the other thing is, like, like twelve to fourteen is probably like the low. I mean, it's like the worst. I think I was ever. like fifteen or sixteen at that time.
0: I could talk about that a while. That guy for a while because every year he was in a class and he made me cry or something. you i'm like 14 years old crying in class this is humiliating um but so did
2: you did did you were kids like giving you a little shit for being in the hair salon was it oh everybody
0: thought my nickname in high school was we're never going to talk about art gallery work but my nickname in high school was cupcake i could never talk about this stuff before this is a true story
3: to just call you, call you it. It, it, it's wonderful but, but, oh I
0: was so humiliated by the name I remember, so so what happened was my high school was only three grades it was for whatever reason they broke us up we went to elementary school then we went to middle school then we went to junior high so middle school was elementary was kindergarten to fifth grade middle school was sixth and seventh junior high was seventh wait it was seventh or eighth and ninth mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense here and high school was Tenth, eleventh,
2: and twelfth. Oh, because usually high
0: school includes nine. That's right, but for whatever reason, they didn't do it that way hmm. in my in the public school that I went to. So I get there, and that year, and that, that that year before, when I was a freshman, I'd gotten really into sewing, and I became really good at sewing. Like they couldn't <laughs> teach me anything; I was just like sewing like crazy, <laughs> <That's so laughs> making great. crafts. Right, and I decided that was the year I was breakdancing too, and I was a pretty good breakdancer. Okay. Um, I had such a bad name Who
2: are you listening to breakdancing,
0: though? Music
2: wise the classics.
0: You like like my favorite was like still one of my all time favorite like breakdance song is Jam On It by Nucleus. You guys I don't know even that? Know this I, song. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 you know, boom. Jam on it. Jam on it. Um, yeah, for sure. So so I, you were
2: putting the cardboard down you no know, I was more
0: like yeah I would do that I was more like a popper and like a you know oh like popper for all sure this kind of, like stuff that people do now because um, I was too chubby to really do the floor <laughs> stuff too well um, and so I I decided that year as someone, I wanted to be the mascot going into 10th grade okay. I was going to be the high school mascot okay typically make it a name Stay I don't now. know why I have no idea I wanted because I was a performer I don't know I wanted attention who knows I was stupid <laughs> The mascot was the U and Blue Devils. so oh, Blue it, Devils, a good one. The interesting thing was, I go to the um, the the cheerleading, the football. It was for football. The football cheerleading coach happened to be this really quirky art teacher. Okay. And I came there and said, I want to be the mascot. She said, No problem. So I made my costume. <laughs> oh, that's and I had so this great. Blue, blue head that I would put on, and I had this pitchfork I made but the. And it was white, but it had. Um, it was a blue metal. I got like some kind of like mop metal yeah, mop, head. Like mop yeah, and then that. I sewed this soft white out of felt pitchfork oh, and my Burgess. stepfather had gone to the same high school and he had like these vintage letter E's the varsity letters so I stuck that on everything right oh, oh everything.
3: man do like you still little, have these things yeah I, I
0: have some of it I oh my god <laughs> so, so put it on like a
3: cool. podcast website yeah
0: right? yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. this is something I wouldn't even talk about for a while so I remember <laughs> I go into my I remember the first like game we go in and then like we, we do the game and then we come out and it's like it's a weekend and I'm getting changed. And at the time, I happened to just be in the, like the one the, – my little locker area was all the high school, all the senior football players who were running shit, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, our, our, I think he was a quarterback. His name was Pat Duncan. <laughs> and he was this huge black dude. He was like 6'4". He was just like – a refrigerator it was so big he went and played for Syracuse he was amazing oh wow and that year good. Ewing won every game except they lost like their whatever championship game was right oh, and so he says so like we're in this like in the um, I'm changing and like at that time I had I had hair and I had like a blonde streak and a red streak and I I looked like an it you know they didn't even know if I was a boy or a girl because I had this baby face and I was chubby <laughs> and weird looking and <laughs> I don't even know if that's a boy or a girl. And he was like, look at our mascot, he says to me. You sure do look sweet. He goes, You look just like a cupcake. (laughs) And the quarterback says it it to me. He goes, You look just like a cupcake. (laughs) I eat 20 cupcakes a day. (laughs) And for the rest of my my high school, people called me cupcake. Oh, I love that story. And the funny thing is, I ran into him, this dude is just huge. He's so big, right? And he's like... You ever see... Uh, he's died, this actor. He's so good. He was in the Green Mile. Michael Clark Duncan. He looks like him. Okay. He's like huge like him. And I ran into him and I was like... And I told him a story. He didn't remember any of it. He had no idea. And then I took a picture with him.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
0: So funny. So high school... And it was embarrassing for me. And that's when Boy George came out. And so oh. they were calling me like Boy Cuppers.
2: Oh, God. Um, boy
0: Cupcake. <laughs> and I was just like
4: fucking mean. Was like that
0: uh, and was horrible. It was <laughs> horrible. Yeah, like, like. And the funny thing for me to tell you this now because people don't experience me that way.
2: Uh-huh. Like yeah, if right. anything
0: when yeah. I got in this hardcore scene and then I like got a man body and
2: well it seems like what didn't... you had I mean correct me if I'm wrong here but we're, we're learning about you and it seems like you were always hyper creative really super smart and even the idea to be a mascot seems like a strategic move to navigate two worlds it's like look like I could kind of I could kind of be a little in with the jocks here I could get you know what I'm saying
0: I was thinking about that. I thought no you know what I thought I thought if I did this I'm going to be so popular Uh everyone's going to love me I was so naive I knew (laughs) there (laughs) was I was so naive and it was just like I was dumbfounded I was like well that was baby not such a good idea and then the second year came around like you want to be the mascot again I was like Hell no! Hell no. <laughs> I'm seeing Danzig at the whatever. Yeah, yeah. But did you, were you going to ask something? Uh, say something.
3: Uh, oh, I was just saying maybe he wasn't being strategic. Maybe he just really wanted to sew this uh, kind of barbed No, barbed I, barbed. I just
0: thought it would be cool. I mean, I wasn't thinking like I wasn't thinking in those terms. You know, like at that time you had like movies like The Breakfast Club and. Uh, but that's not the town I lived in. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, they, those films were made uh, at like where I think. Chicago. They, they were. were like, done, I think they were Detroit, Gross Point. A lot. For some reason, I feel like that's where in Detroit it was. Same. Good,
2: same. Day. I thought they were done in. Um, in
0: Sixteen candles and.
2: Yeah, just like, affluent suburbs of those cities.
3: Uh-huh. Breakfast Club was a great movie.
0: Well, let me tell you something. That's not... The, I mean, there were those stereotypes, but that's not the world that I live in. That's not you. You're oh, hell no. Up. And they, they cut out a whole bunch of stuff that was in there. They didn't have any black people in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I mean, that's just not the reality that I lived in. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? They they just did not have... You know, that, that's just something I could talk... That's another thing I could talk about, just like culture, things, culture and things like that. But... um it wasn't. It was different, you know. Yeah, it was right. a very different thing, you know. It was really awkward, really uncomfortable, really not cool. There was mm-hmm. nothing cool about and also it. Also, just mm-hmm.
3: and I feel like you guys might have all experienced this. It also, like at that age, being different it just sucks. Like, and call it like, like towards the end of high school, maybe you kind of you find your well, niche. You find the three people. Maybe, who are also you know. I mean, I
0: had friends, but I still had to always worry about getting my ass beat. Right. And there was a way I navigated that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just a reality, no matter what. And hey, so, What
2: what was that way? How, how, how did you navigate? You were like in different
0: way. How I navigated that, because again, I spoke about this, and I mean, you know, I hope I don't, you know, I'm not coming off, I always worry, but I talk about race relations a lot because I grew up with them, so like I'm kind of comfortable talking about it, but... Because it just was part of my reality. I'm like, oh, you're a white person. You're not supposed to say black people or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not my reality. So because I grew up in a racially mixed community that was not, you know, I mean, stereotypical in some ways, not stereotypical. Like, you know, most of my friends who are educated and they're white don't understand my perspective because they have a very different perspective based on what they grew up with. Mm -hmm. And um,
2: I have the same with Atlanta.
0: Oh, I bet you would. For sure. I bet you would, because Atlanta is a predominantly black city, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, So you're going to have a very different experience in terms of people and how you think of people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, growing up in the town that I grew up in, you had working class white kids and you had some more fluent white kids. You had working class black kids and you had more fluent black kids. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't like... This stereotypical situation. I mean, that's just really making it even super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of the kids that I, I grew up with that were African American, who were from Trenton, because they maybe grew up with like they were getting, they were like basically like a lot of the kids I went to school with who were who were African American. They actually lived in Trenton. They weren't supposed to be going to viewing schools, and they were saying they were with an aunt or an uncle. And so they grew up in even rougher neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and they didn't even know what to do with a kid like me. Like, so if you're in a, like a, a more affluent neighborhood and you're weird, everyone thinks you're cool. If you're in a less affluent neighborhood, nobody gets it. They're not ed- yeah. punk rock was for rich kids in a lot of that's ways. that's so true, and they yeah, just didn't so get true. it. So I had to navigate. I had to navigate some of the Trenton kids. Oftentimes, those kids were of color who didn't get it. They were those kids were really mean and scary. So I had both kinds. You know, I had friends who were black and white, and they had my back. Mm -hmm. So if I and I grew kids, I grew up with since I was like I was telling my girlfriend the story about how about this crazy fight I saw when I was like seventeen. Because when I was in high school, I would I'd sit at this table at lunchtime by myself. Oftentimes, for some weird reason, these three or four like popular white girls would come sit with me because they knew me since I was really young uh-huh. but the rest of my table were like the roughest black kids in the school but I knew them since I was six years old uh-huh. yeah, they were yeah. my friend. like they right. they might not be hanging out with me but like yo Jonathan you're a little weird now I'm not hanging <laughs> out with you but they've known me since I was six years old Uh huh. Right. so they were just like leave, leave cupcake alone <laughs> Cupcakes are not- they were like leave cupcake alone and if somebody else who didn't grow up with me who didn't know me gave me a hard time one of my friends that I grew up with, depending on what community it was in, because you were navigating different communities. It was some trashy white kid, and I had one of my white friends, you know, say something to me. You know, it was like a rough-ass black kid who came from Trenton who was like, you know, a troublemaker or whatever. I'd have one of my black friends say something to him if it was... Some white jock, I'd have one of my tough-ass black friends go up and say something to him. Whatever I had to do not to get my ass beat mm-hmm. because yeah. that was a reality for me.
2: That's right, and that's what I see. I see something like kind of smart about you in that. Not like utilitarian, but just sort of there's a savviness to the way you've navigated the, the art world consistently that has to be informed by that. And, and to that point, like – we talk to you a lot. I
0: don't sound like a racist. I'm sorry if I do. I was no, saying, not at all. You <laughs> know, it's like, I don't want to sound like that because I'm, you know, but.
2: But because you were, you were raised in a place where race is very present. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's a thing, you know, same yeah, so, here. So,
3: you feel like, so I, um, I mean, I feel like I missed a lot of like kind of. Normal childhood things in this country, so I might be totally That's wrong. That's right. Yeah. Um, but but um, like a lot of um, like my Black and Hispanic friends here, kind of who didn't fit in within kind of whatever rough neighborhoods they were in, comic, comic books were actually kind of their outlet. Like like they were, I met them because they were all comic book kids, and they said that you know like growing up in a really rough part of whatever it was, like yeah, it was, it was rough, rough for them. Uh, it it was rough for them, and really some of them were actually kind of tough kids. And That's it was right. still rough for them. It's still rough because for they, that. They, they, just, they just didn't That's really right. that. Um, but they were, I mean, it, like, I feel like they're, like... It doesn't matter
0: if you're what your ethnicity is. If you're creative in those communities, at least back in those in the day, you got shit. Yeah, but I, Period. Uh, it like if you're creative, it, yeah, yeah. It
3: seems like what brought them together uh-huh. was, like, the comic books of superheroes... And um, it, I like like so. What I might be missing out on is that all of America was, is actually into this stuff. I just don't, you know, the, like I just first experienced it. There. It might be a
0: different like. Listen, I have friends that I grew up with that, um, you know, if I speak of my friends who are of color, this is how we talk about it these days. For me, that would be my black friends. Now I have friends of every different color, ethnicity, mm-hmm. everything. You know, um, but you know. I'm still friends with those guys, those friends, those people to some extent, like on Facebook and stuff. I can think of it. the creatives. I was always friends with because they got
2: it. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Didn't matter what
0: color you were. Uh huh. They got it.
2: It's kind of a universal language to people, right? And, yeah. it, and it's a way to build a community. And and I think to that point, I like what you said that you are a weirdo to other people. Like in a community like yours, like. You were stretching to be a creative, and I like that you touched on that punk rock was for the rich kids in in Princeton. It was for – it was – a lot of that culture was elitist, not blue-collar, and I still see it today. Like being a a creative painting like we paint is basically a luxury. I mean you've come from some level of affluence to where your parents – Not necessarily – not necessarily, not necessarily, but i think I think there is something to the idea that your parents you have enough of a cushion there, or zero
0: cushion there is definitely a stereotype about artists that is i think sometimes true. I do not approach I don't make that assumption about you mm-hmm. okay um, I do not approach creatives ever thinking that mm-hmm unless you smell of it because you're just such a fucking shit. You're such an arrogant <laughs> fucking shit. It's like, oh, oh. what a fucking dick. I, well, I'll say this. I hate, I kind of am a classist and I really kind of, and I should probably say this, but I hate old school rich people. I don't like anybody who's like elitist like that and mm-hmm. you're just an asshole mm-hmm. and you're arrogant. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have no, I have very little tolerance for that. It's one of the big challenges I've had in the art world. In the New York art world, um, but I don't assume that. There's an assumption that like, oh, you went to art school, your parents sent you to RISD, you have a bunch of money. But I've but I've grown up. I've, there's artists I've worked with who I've known half my life who did go to those wealthy, who did go to those schools, that did come from a little bit more affluent than the, the me. But at the end of the day, it didn't make much of a difference. It won't. It won't
2: make difference except for the opportunities. I think like. Um For me, I I went to art because I had no, it didn't matter. Like, I had zero privilege in that way or anything to where I could have wasted my life in fine art painting or anything else. You know, it's like, whatever. But if I was like middle class or a little like lower middle class, there's no way my parents would want to throw a few nickels at me to go to some art well, school. Well, that's true. You know, you know, but but not
0: necessarily though because that's also an assumption but you're it's making. It,
3: but but, it's, but it, I feel like there's a difference. Like, so my parents are middle class and um, I feel like that even... Like, and we also have a really good relationship and I know so my sister's a painter too. We kind of both ended up doing this at the same state school and then the same grad school. But I feel like if we were... Like, we had a lot of friends... By the that, way, did
0: you guys all go to the same... Y'all went to the same school not me no graduate school Um, what graduate school New New York Academy did everyone go to New York Academy no no
3: Josh, you did, right? Yeah. yeah I did. Oh, okay. Um, I, t-
0: I teach there,
2: but I didn't go. It,
3: right. so, so I feel like I, you know, I, I've been financially independent from my parents since probably I was about 18, but the choices I've made might have been informed by the fact that like I knew that if like, if shit really hit the fan, I could probably go home. That's and, and exactly they would what I'm me. saying. Like you had a, like. Yeah, but going home like, and
0: living in your parents' house. It's almost like a It's not, not great, but it's still a pretty big mess. But I think <laughs> most <laughs> people can do that. <laughs> but I feel Even if you're poor. It's
3: like a <laughs> Like, yes. I don't know, I don't know. Some, no. people, some people don't have that relationship with their parents, some people's parents wouldn't want, like, so I, f- I feel like for me it's sort of... I that's never, got nothing to do with money. Yeah, like, I never, you're right, like, I never needed the help, but, but I knew that if I asked, it was always there, and I feel like that kind of informed a lot mm-hmm. of the choices. Let me tell
0: you something, made. my parents don't make a lot of money, they didn't make a lot of money, okay, and I always have a place to stay, and that, that's half my family. Mm-hmm. so I don't really think it's an issue of money yeah yeah, yeah I mean
3: you're right You're right. and then it might be more of like just what kind what terms you're in, like what kind of family you grew up in well right.
1: what relationships you've established over time you know like same I, I'm like the same falling into the same category as you because like my mom raised single mother raised eight kids by herself holy Whoa. crap she made $12,000 a year so oh. I, what but, but I always have a home um, so, like, if I came to New York, there was no real risk because I always had a home. Like I can always go back to somewhere.
2: It takes. Um, I think yeah, it takes yeah. that to really pursue a life in this. Well, no, Same I, I, I would. I
0: would say, as a whole, or it's total wrong. I think everyone is unique and individual. Uh uh-huh. uh-huh. I agree I, with I, that. I
3: don't know if you guys did. You know, Bonnie do it.
0: I did. I, yeah. I know I, I it, actually but... I knew Bonnie the way. Yeah, so
3: so she's a friend and I guess she killed herself last year, but she actually didn't I, I mean her home I think wasn't like that and I think that was part of it. She was hugely talented and a kind of a really smart girl, but like I think she couldn't she couldn't go home for various reasons. Well I mean the thing um, of it is is like again
0: you could have like a wealthy family but maybe they're really frigid and distant and then you could have a really poor family but maybe they're really warm and loving so like yeah,
3: all right, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough mm-hmm. it's not it, 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 you're right as in like i started off being like well i know money gives you, but, you well, know, i want to like,
0: say about this is I, that that's the idea there's this whole idea that i think about privilege is say oh will go into like you know i'm honestly try not to pay too much attention to this i'm old you know, the whole Me Too movement, you know, white man, white privilege and all that. And trust me, I get my white privilege. I really do. And I can really... It's something I talk about with my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Because I, I... Moving out of my community that I grew up in, I realized, and, and I was a weirdo, fucked up kid. I had way more resources, way more privilege. It's
2: a real... It's a very real I, I could
0: not have achieved what I did without that, okay?
2: Absolutely. Is that a New York
3: thing? But we all, I feel like we all have the privilege of just even like having like, I don't know, working with like, you know, like like if, if every body part of yours works, you're more Yeah, well, of course.
0: So, of course. <laughs> yeah, but well, you know, but I, I just think there's a, I, my whole thing is I don't, I really think I broke my finger. I really don't. <laughs> oh. I think if you have privilege, it makes it easier for you. But at the end of the day, that's not going to make you successful. That's for sure. So who that goes gives back a shit in. about that? Uh-huh. Like that is not going to make you successful the vast majority that I, of artists that I work with that I've worked with and I work with artists from all over the world half the artists I work with are not Americans artists I have um, I have a show opening up with in a week and a half he's from Nigeria he's 24 years old mm. he's like this his name's Arin Stanley he makes these crazy photorealistic drawings he's self taught wow he's coming from a different completely different perspective mm. I mean think he comes from a middle class family for Ni- in Nigeria I don't really know what that means because I'm not really familiar, know too much about that but i work with artists from Brazil like you know middle class European artists uh, you know just all over the place and most of the artists I work with don't come from any special privilege mm-hmm. they're just crazy creative and committed and that's it period
2: right yeah, yeah. Uh huh.
0: period you gotta be committed you wanna be successful you have to just be like this is it and it's not even like you're thinking about all these like normal things that people do like get married and have kids and blah blah I'm not married I don't have kids
4: mm-hmm.
0: the the only sort of uh, thing that and I, and I I actually didn't want to be a poor person you know I really didn't you know and you know my career is up and down you know the galleries generate a lot of money it's lost a lot of money whatever I am middle class I live in a very small house in Rutherford, New Jersey mm-hmm. in the working class part of town mhm and I drive my second new car. I bought my first new car when I was at 37. And I drive a Hyundai Elantra.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm happy with that because I didn't grow up with much. I don't need much. You know, like... But I'm a, crea- I'm a creative at, at the end of the day. There's a possibility I'm going to make a ton of money. There's a possibility I'm going to end up broke.
2: So we, we touch on this a lot on this show. Like, the sacrifices one makes for their creativity. You just You just said, like, you know the house that no kids and no wife like do you do you feel at this point no 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 i'm for all intents
0: and purposes i'm married we just don't have there's no we're just not legally married trust me i'm more married (laughs) than married people are
2: but this question (laughs) has a point that doesn't necessarily deal with specifics of your life yeah Do, do you feel a weight of your decisions like is it like a net gain, a net loss. I followed my bliss in Joseph Campbell terms, and it was a win, or was as hard as fuck. You know, wh- how do you feel about you that? You
0: know, it, it all really depends on how mentally you choose to look at that. So, if you choose to look at the thing and be like, you know, I'm a failure because I didn't follow, I have not been following the path um, that you say my cousins did, or. A lot of people I grew up with. Like, you get, you go to college, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids, you save money, mm-hmm. you know, blah blah blah. And I was struggling with that a lot for a long time. And then I had a lot of success, so it made it easier. But now I'm 50, and it's kind of like, eh, you know, it's not like things are like super rosy. You know, I'm 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 doing okay, but I'm not rich. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm. But you questioned it a lot in the middle. Oh,
0: the whole time.
2: Uh Uh-huh, right. That's the point. And it's sort of like accepting
0: the fact that, like, okay, I'm probably not getting married. I'm probably not having kids because I made a choice that I feel that I'm, while I'm physically able to have children, I'm biologically able to have children, I feel that I'm too old to have them, even though I look so young for my age. Because (laughs) You know, that's right, cupcake. (laughs) You know, is that it requires a lot of work. You know, if you have friends who have kids and I have family and I have
3: that men aren't even ready to have kids until they're over 40 so you're you're, you're in prime
0: well no I'm 50 now so you know you it's like you might admit but the thing <laughs> is I don't need to chase kids I mean I, one of my best friends just had a kid he's a year younger than me he just had a, his daughter's like 6 months old I'm like what are you fucking crazy He's like, yeah, well, my wife wanted to have a kid. i was just like, good luck. I was just like, you know, and I and I love his wife. And just like, I'm glad I'm not you. <laughs> so I mean, I guess there's like a slim, 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 slim possibility that maybe I'll have a child, but like, I just don't see myself having the energy for it. Mm-hmm. And I made that sacrifice, and that's a little, little, little bit hard to swallow. It's all right, yeah. It's a little bit hard to swallow, and the fact that I'm not married. That, no, that doesn't bother me as much. And like, do
3: you have a woman that you love? and... Love you back, and I, I feel like the legalities of getting yeah.
0: I mean, and less. you know, and you know, that's you know, she might feel differently about that, but you know, like I did everything really late in life, and nothing is permanent. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a partner who supports you in that, you're screwed. And if you don't have a family who supports you in that, you're also screwed. Right. I and mean, the fact is, I have a family supportive in that because my mother's really spiritual. So when I mean, my parents are like good people. They're like. You know, we had a lot of challenges in my family. So, like, they have a good perspective on, like, what's actually important.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Not, like, did you get married and have kids? They can look at other people and go, like, all these people. And my mom's like, you know, I'm actually glad you didn't do that. Because, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago when so-and-so got married, and I was comparing it to them. Their life is fucked. Right. You know, it's like. <laughs> do
2: you feel it gave you courage, like, to just push this thing? I mean, like, because I felt like if I messed up once as a kid it was all over and I didn't have resource so it was like it was like walking a tightrope for me that just felt like I had to be flawless or I was going to die like at 20 you know
0: no I don't feel that way at all I probably probably put way 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 too much pressure on myself thinking yeah, something stupid people do I don't think they do it anymore but you're like if I'm not a rock star at 23 I'm a failure uh huh right which is like the yeah, stupidest yeah, yeah. thing ever like,
3: Fortunately aren't Like it's okay to be a late bloomer, you know. It's okay to kind of, you know, like it's just okay to come to things late. Like there's a few kind of art star, whatever people who are amazing at 22, but I feel like you're not expected to reach like the peak your peak career. But I just think I think the the world's very different than
0: when I was growing up. I think for me, I'm 15 years older than you. Doesn't seem like we're a different age. We seem the same. There's a reality that the fact is we have. What you grew up with and what I grew up with is different. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. You know, that. so as a I result, you have I, a
0: very different perspective. I
3: agree, and I actually feel like, I mean, as far as being a painter goes, just purely that, it might be much easier right now um, than it was 15 years ago. Oh, know? absolutely. Like, like I don't think I would have been, you know, like, or 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. That. You feel that
2: too, from a gallery's perspective? That it's. It might it's have been
3: better being a gallery actually than.
2: Be, it's easier to be a painter
0: now than 15 years oh no i am just talking about being a kid but oh. <laughs> if we wanted to get get into that we can do that too um,
3: oh no be, be, being, uh, being a kid yeah, and being a kid i missed something here well, um i was i was a kid in a country where people were kid where people like hang, well, hang caps for entertainment a, our child a, a was completely, a completely different perspective but <laughs> yeah.
0: well, you're talking about painters i mean let, well, let's just stay focused here because we're just all. And I'm starting to get buzzed so that's what we do. <laughs> I need another glass
3: Actually,
2: <laughs> I'm gonna get we, sh- we should take a break, right? Let's,
3: yeah, let's take a break. I, I... All
2: right, so we're back after getting kicked out of the Art Students League. We are back for excessive <laughs>
3: drunkenness. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: basically is what it was. So tonight, we're loaded up on candy, paydays, Reese's. Take fives, <laughs> little whiskey, and take two with Jonathan Levine.
3: And there's no so, one to kick us out this time. No one can kick <laughs> us
2: out, but we don't remember where we left off. <laughs> I think it was somewhere around your high school experience, Jonathan. So I'm just gonna, wherever it was, just ask you about how you started in New York City, CBGBs, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it was kind of it's a it's. A, I feel like there's a longer story before CBGBs, and it's maybe just the way I look at my story, because it's always very organic, and the whole story for me is important. Uh Uh-huh, for sure, yeah. It's not like when I started curating, which the first show I ever curated was in uh, Montclair State College, now University, which is 10 miles. Where you went. Yes, I, I was working there a couple of years after I graduated from there. And there was like a student gallery, and I curated a show there.
2: Oh, that's cool. With
0: my work and my friends' work, and then I curated a show of like underground comics in like a student space. And I was always this DIY guy, which maybe I talked about earlier in regards mm-hmm. to being this punk rock kid in the '80s and putting out a fanzine and having a record label and I I didn't realize I was kind of an I was an entrepreneur without really wanting to be one I would call myself an entrepreneur now Uh but I was a reluctant entrepreneur because I was so anti sort of like established business and all that thing the world's changed a lot so you have a lot more Flexibility and room, and also you. The just... word "sellout" means nothing anymore. No, I think it still means it does something to me. It does to, to me. To, to to people, you know. For me, you know that that's another conversation. Sellout means like, are you selling yourself out to yourself? Uh-huh. If you're not selling yourself out to yourself, then you're not a sellout.
4: Uh-huh.
0: But you know, I have my own rules and ethics, and um, you know, certain integrity and things that I have to. You know, you know. Basically, um, let me say this again. I have my own rules and ethics that I have to follow. Mm-hmm. They might not be yours, they might not be hers, it might, might not be his, they're mine. And at the end of the day, the only person you really have to answer to is yourself.
2: So you can only sell out to yourself. I think
0: that's personally my feeling is you can only sell out to yourself. Uh-huh. So, so, I mean, I know I have a lot of friends who do like stuff as I was growing up and I was watching them and they were doing things that I was like, they're kind of a sellout. But I didn't think they were sellout because for them it wasn't a sellout and I realized that. But for me it would have been. Mm-hmm. So I have no beef with people. Everyone has their own truth, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I viewed it. Um,
2: yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I'm thinking like when a band you love is on a car commercial or something that that was seen as such a big deal for us. Like we talked about music like as kids, and now it's just it's irrelevant. It seems it, like if no a band
0: was like you know spouting off or espousing what's the word? I'm so bad with grammar.
2: Spousing sounds
0: good. Is it spousing right? Like all these high ideas about not selling out or political ideas and then they go and they sell their songs to a car commercial. Okay. But if they're not, then who fucking cares? I don't know.
3: Or maybe, like, I would love to hear my favorite band in a car commercial because it's like, oh, fi- like, finally some, some weird obscure <laughs> shit that I like is, 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 is like out in the mainstream. So the only thing that I ever, like, guessed would become popular or just like before it did was Game of Thrones. And I'm so thrilled that, like, everyone else is watching, you know, like, like basically game of Thrones dork, too. Now. <laughs> uh, like, like, wouldn't it make you feel good if, like, everyone could talk about Infinite Jest? Or would it make you feel like, you know... I don't
2: cool. know. That's interesting to me. I, I'm such... what the fuck
0: is Infinite Jest? Infinite like Jest Me is and this...
2: Marsha likes that. no one... Being uh, <laughs> no, very
0: I'm insider-y inside. a yeah, total
2: yeah, nerd yeah. book that we like. But I, I... There's something to me that was such a shorthand of, as a kid... Popular stuff was dumb stuff and like infinite jest was cool, you know, or the, or misfits or what, you but know, it's like, the
0: world's not that way anymore.
2: It's not that way anymore. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Things it's have not changed that way so much and it's hard to know what is. I mean, it's like. There's no context for anything you ingest anymore. It's just a huge spray. It's flipping through Instagram. It's Spotify. It's iPod Shuffle. It's just like, oh my it's God. It's very confusing. It's very okay, confusing.
3: But would you, but would you, okay. In some ideal universe, because we, we talked about this a little bit, maybe after we got kicked out of the leaves, you know, about kind of the idea of gatekeepers and you as a gallery dealer being a gatekeeper, um, like... What if you had the power? Like, you know, like, like, pick some super obscure artists that you adore. Right. Ooh, I like this. You, you kind of have the power to get a lot, you know, to get that artist in front of a whole lot more people.
0: I think I did that. Um, I think I did. I don't know if I did. You did. There's I no way to know. Uh huh. I tell you what, those motherfuckers don't think so. They think they're so <laughs> goddamn great, and they got, it wasn't because of me. You put that on there. I don't really know. That's the truth, you know. I don't really know. Um, there was certain times when I choose an artist. People would think, oh, if Jonathan chooses an artist and puts it in his gallery, there are some people who thought this. You know, that makes their career, and that's really just not true. And it's a lot less true now than it used to be. Um, well, speak speak to that a little
2: bit. You know, you know, a lot of people listen to this are hopeful artists. I think we've all been at some point, like, just, like, what what do you look for? What do you think the role of a gallery can actually have nowadays? I don't know. Okay.
0: I, I really don't know. I don't know the role of the gallery. I kind of feel like at this stage in my career, and we've all, you know, I, I've made this announcement, I'm closing my gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, when people hear this, maybe my gallery will be closed for a while. Um, I'm Quite honestly, I'm not sure. And I'm sort of feeling my way through it. And I honestly don't think it's that important. The gallery? As opposed to just running your own Instagram account or I'm something? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Like, what the gallery was, I just don't see it. It's Because I've been struggling with this. And, you know, people are starting to ask me these questions and I can't really answer them. Hmm. And... I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I don't... I don't personally believe in the gallery system right now. Currently? Yes. Currently, I do not believe in the gallery system. That might not say that I might change my mind, but it seems pointless for the gallerist. Not for the artist, but pointless for the gallerist. Hmm.
3: I, I, I agree. Like, for the artist, it actually has a lot of the same meaning it used to have. And, for like, for the gallerist, I mean, some of the meaning actually was making money, and... What do you mean? Like, Dina, oh,
2: the the meaning it used to have. Like, are you saying um, it, it's important to show at a gallery? Because it,
3: um, I, our artists still feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think we, we, we all. I, I'm not yeah, sure we... about you guys, but like we we still feel like a physical space, um, at least for like a little bit. You know, I, I mean, in my case, it kind of allows me to consolidate press. It you know, did like sometimes leads to sales, sometimes not. But it's if it still feels important to say, I had a. I had a solo show where, it like, my
2: work
0: nice was f- physically went up on a wall.
3: Um, but for the get- like, but as far as the gallery, though, it's
0: not really about it's not about money, though. Okay, that's that's yeah. like that. Not for nothing. That comment you just made is a very jaded one. Which one? But, oh, making money because I don't really know. There is nobody in their right mind who's a gallerist. Very few people who stay in this long haul who are doing this for money. Not yeah. one effing person. Huh. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, and that you would think that is insane to me. Um, huh. You're insane. <laughs> you're insane, um, Data. I, I mean I have no I had no
3: doubt. Um you know, but you know what though, but like all, most of the galleries I've worked with expected to be able to I mean, they they were in it for the art, but they also expected to be able to pay the rent, both on the gallery and music. That's know,
0: because that's kind of they different. Have the, to. Yeah, that's a, yeah. uh, What what so you have a show, right? So just think about this, right? So amazing to me. Like, It's one of the things that frustrates the hell out of me. Is like, (laughs) go Jonathan. There's business, right? Okay, so you have a so a gallery. You have this gallery, right? It's open. Let's think about this. So the standard gallery is open. That that motherfucker who decided, stupid ass motherfucker, can I curse? (laughs) You you're allowed Uh, to on on like I told. I curse too much on this. He decided to open a gallery. Had to sign a lease Uh in a commercial space because those artists wanted to show in like a cool location. So. In New York City, it's typically a five to ten year lease, right? So that's just like the basic thing, and you've got like all the sorts of expenses you have to pay for as well, which is like insurance. Your electric bill, electric bill in gallery is high because you got these all these lights, right? Yeah, you right. Uh-huh. That, you know, whatever you've got, your employees, which is the most costly part of a gallery. People think it's the, the rent. It's typically the, the staff, yeah. unless there's just two people there. Uh-huh. Um, there's just so many things that go into it, which I could ramble on forever about, but. And i try to stay focused because I'm a little buzzed now. Because that's what you guys do. This should be like, we're going to drink and get drunk, and we're going to talk about stuff. Our podcast is brutal. Um, uh, <laughs> our podcast has
3: it. led to more liver damage than any other po- podcast in the <laughs> That should
0: be your like, Uh But we're, I'm getting back to something here. Uh, so, you have, so it's not like a gallery does a show once a month. And you'd be like, well, why don't you? Because it's a huge amount of work. And artists expect so much. Mm-hmm. They expect so much. So, basically, in my gallery, which would be somewhat typical, we do nine shows a year. We used to just do eight shows a year. When we used to take off August, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. Since 2009, we started to do, we do a two-and-a-half-week show in August. right? Okay. So, it's not like you're like, oh, I have to cover the bills for, I always think about this, or I just think, I'm covering the bills for, if it's just one artist per, per show. Sometimes galleries have multiple spaces. You cannot think of every gallery as the same, and that's the one of the other things that frustrates the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could mm-hmm. ramble on about this. Oh, we would love We love frustrations. It. Yes.
3: Um, please please okay. ramble, uh, ramble about that. Because I used time. to run
0: two shows at a time. I used to have like seven to eight employees. At one point, I had two spaces and ten employees, and people are like, what do you do? What are you doing there? You're just sitting there doing nothing. I'm like, no, we're busting our ass, uh-huh. um, and 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 so many ways. So the system used to work a certain way, uh huh. And you could rely on the system working a certain way. Okay, so you know, like the artist would come through you to sell their work. Uh-huh. be semi-exclusive with you. Well, when artists stopped being that way because they had social media and all the, and the internet and all these other options, that just Cut us on out from like just cut uh, her, cut I mean, us out from other news i mean
3: to, to play i guess not devil's, devil's advocate, advocate. Go but, ahead. but but uh but also as as you know as an artist it's a is that system worked for artists as well until around 2009 as you were saying like like i guess post the last crash like all of a sudden that system stopped working you you, you, you used to sign a you know exclusivity contract or whatever saying you know like like we're exclusive at least for the show or for you know i'm represented by this gallery and you would Rely on having a solo show, and that works selling, and that being enough to kind of pay the rent. Let for me it, ask you a know? question:
0: Why the fuck would you think that would happen?
3: Because it used to. <laughs>
0: it used to for who?
3: Me. Like for okay, one. so you're <laughs> speaking for yourself. No, 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 it, no. It would happen. You're speaking for yourself. No, it would happen to. I think it would happen to. I, I think that's what. Artists expected, um, and I think for a while no. gallery... I'm gonna you know, get angry here. So. All, right, all, right, all right, all right, I like have it. This, you know, the, <laughs> um, but but, uh, but but look, galleries expected this from artists, and artists expected this from galleries. What, we didn't expect while, anything from you.
0: Every time it's a risk. Every time we show you, we don't know what you're, we're going to get. We have to deal with the whims of whatever you're where you're at. One uh-huh. thing that annoys the shit out of me, like uh-huh. these artists, right? And they'd be like, oh. We're going to have a... There's no exclusive. Nobody. The time that I, I started my business, nobody was exclusive, right? Even though you were in New York City, they weren't exclusive. Because like, everyone thought they were a rock star. And so you'd have artists who were selling out, but they were like, I'm giving you this much X amount of show, you know? And, and they might have an L.A. gallery who their expenses are half yours, and they give them the same show. Do you think that's fair? Right. Uh-huh. Do you think that's like... It can, but they didn't want to think about the economics of it. They understood... Implicitly, what the economics of it were, but they didn't care. Uh-huh. There's a certain naivety that they chose. And it's just something I had to deal with, right? Uh-huh. It, at the end of the day, all these reasons is why I closed my gallery.
3: But, I mean, you dealt with them for a while because you felt like it was worth it. And then at some point you stopped
0: feeling it. Like I dealt with it for a while because I love their work and I believed in the system. And there's no way I could have foreseen that the system was going to change so drastically. I mean, I, I, if I knew going in that the system was, this was going to do, this was going to happen, I would have approached it completely differently. Well let's could you get, possibly
2: know? Let's get context because I think the three of us are all basically came post-crash, post 2008. Um, I, was, I mean, you either, did a little I was, before. I was
3: really so I was really lucky, and I started showing really young, and so I basically caught the tail end. Good of, for you. Yes, I caught the tail end of when when it would work for you. You know when like. When, when that system would work, both for gallerists and for artists. Like, I would be exclusive with someone. They would sell my work. I would have enough money for, like, you know, X amount of time to keep making work. And then all of a sudden, like, it stopped working for you. But I feel like it stopped working for art. Like, you had a solo show and nothing sold. And, like, but because I... people had less money, because things were changing, because whatever. And all of a sudden, you couldn't rely on that anymore. So, and I think that's when... Like, basically, I'm just saying you're not the only person that got fucked by artists. I list. can't. Oh, I no, can't. No, no, I don't
0: think so either. Everybody, or, I mean, I mean, everyone's like, in the same boat. I
3: mean, gallerists did. But, like, for a while, artists did, too. And there was just, I don't know, Marshall, if you were, if I knew you during that time. But for me, there was a sense of complete panic where, like I, could, like, I stopped being able to rely on any work selling ever again. No, because uh, I
2: came late. I came at a time where people were telling me. There's no future. and uh, That's all I ever heard.
0: Uh, let me ask you a question. No you know, why the fuck do you easy. think you should be able to make a living being an artist in the first fucking Because it's voluntary. That is, like, so, yeah, that is totally really be. entitled. And I'm is. not saying either one of you guys are entitled, <laughs> but I have to throw this out there. That is utterly ridiculous.
2: <laughs> and you know what? I think... You know, we do it, so it does. It makes you feel like the luckiest person on the planet. Um,
3: we've we've kind of been through this on you know Another on this podcast one, other before, but but basically, um, I I feel like I'm entitled to be an artist because I never had any imagination, so I just couldn't imagine there the was a level of failure that would well, you know come with. You're in.
0: entitled to be an artist, but that doesn't mean you're entitled to make a living off of it. That's okay. right. I yeah, expect yeah, if,
3: if you can't imagine, if you can't imagine not making a living on it, you're much more likely to go into it if, you, if your imagination is kind of poor. Well, and, and
2: John, <laughs> before you got here, I, to I told you a little you know, bit of my backstory. Yeah. I expected to draw and paint as a hobby and I expected to quit so fast and it just one thing led to the other. And I feel like I got sucked in. Well, that's, that's kind of I never rare, But them.
0: I would venture to say, like I could pull a bunch of artists in here and they would kind of tell you how great they are. And how undervalued they are, and how their life is supposed to be, because that is what's been fed to them, and that's why they want to believe, because that is a great story. Who the fuck doesn't want to believe that? Yeah, yeah But yeah. that's not that's no, not but reality. but, but, never but, but, no, but
3: there's there's Marshall's you know version of that story, and there's. My version of that story Which is just I'm not sure that I Like I'm not sure I ever expected To make much money But I always I never ha- like imagined failing at it Because it's like Ah fuck What else would I do but that I only, that as a kid not, not making the money
0: Doesn't mean you're Failing at it though That's just um, another Conversation uh, um, That's true that, too That, 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 is, that doesn't true. mean You're failing at it
3: um, That's true But I actually Don't believe in Like the, this whole Starving artist thing If you're starving You're thinking about food You're not thinking about art Yeah you know? I, I agree And um, and I, like, I feel like I, I always expected to make enough money to be able to like. But
2: would you that? ever expect? Why would that? you ever expect that? I can't. That is so. Um, that is unfathomable. Um,
3: to me. Possibly, I, I, I really do think that just poor, poor, like you know, lack of foresight,
0: poor, it's like poor imagination.
3: <laughs> but do you
0: believe that now?
3: Um, I, right now I think it's a miracle. Like right now I think the fact that I or anyone else has lasted as long doing this impractical thing I'm fucking miraculous My beef is this,
0: it's like, cause like it's, I'm a dealer, I'm a gallerist, so people think, oh, you're a certain thing. But I came up as a creative, as an artist, a maker, uh-huh. and I fell into what I'm doing. And I think of myself, I have a soul of an artist, you think of myself as creative. I don't really give a shit if anyone else thinks of me that way, I knew who I am. I think of you that way. Oh,
3: thank me too. you. Me too. Yeah, I think, we, well, I think that's why, yeah, we all do. So the yeah. point
0: being is, what you probably don't, I don't know if you think of it that way. I don't know how most galleries are, because they're all very different, if you ask me. And I, I happen to be creative, who's also business-minded. Uh-huh. But certainly, you know, I grew up with a fantasy and a, to- a certain entitlement, and most artists I know are. And it's like, and it's also something that is fed to us, that you're special, you're unique, you are super special. Your voice is like nobody else's voice. And you know what? You deserve this. And there's fucking a million of you. And that is a load of crap. Am Man. I wrong? No, you guys should have grown up in a cult. You don't get any of that thought. <laughs> it's yeah, not like you're true. lucky to but be I, here But I think that's what you 20. get in the public. And I think that's what you hear. Truth is, I follow social media because I have to. I follow the media because I have to. And it's always like, the poor artist, the poor artist... What, are you kidding me? You know, Nobody like, says the poor plumber, the poor electrician, the poor, like, you know, administrative assistant. Uh-huh. Like, somehow, you're fucking better than everybody else.
2: Uh-huh. That's a load of shit. Yeah. I've always had sympathy for galleries on that. I've always, I I, I feel that plight so heavy. Because it is, like, this is, I mean, look, I didn't grow up in a place where people bought art. Or, and it seems insane to me. I had a dealer you one both, time. both bruh. I, I had a dealer one time tell me before my show was my goal is to not have you talk to anyone. Because if someone comes up to me and is like, I really love this painting... I'm like, yeah, but it's not worth that kind of money. Like, what are you... I, I, I like just talked about it. Yeah,
3: I might have actually talked people out of buying my work. So it's like, always like, what are do you really? doing? You're Why gonna, would you buy this? Yeah, this you're like going to spend, yeah, spend this much money on, like, something that doesn't do anything practical. A wave of
2: guilt washes over me whenever anybody buys my pay. I'm just like, what you doing? You know, that's pretty to The dude? point What's is, so like, fun? what is it
0: you want out of this? Like, are you making work because you love it? Are you making work because... You want people to tell you how great you are, and you have to sort of like so get, mom get your bridge. self-esteem, and you have to make a bunch of. Being an artist is not a good way to make money. There's a handful of people who do it, but it's but not I really. I, right.
3: it's, it, I, it's not a good way to make a lot of money, but I feel like you can support yourself doing it. I still think it's miraculous that any you know like like anyone does, but, but it's, it's like this. Um, Yeah, yeah, and that's why you end up juggling a bunch of freelance jobs, (laughs) you know, um, for 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 years. Um, But um,
0: I could speak on that for a while too, because I don't think that is a way to. And this is all just we're just talking personally, I guess. I think you know, it's like I don't think that's a way. I'm 50 now, right? So today I just turned 50, and it's probably something I talked about, and it's like a thing in my head right now. Thank you. And, uh, I mentioned this last time, right? I just turned, I turned 50 yeah. and said, uh, September 25th and I'm fortunate to be youthful and healthful and all that healthy and all that shit. But, um, I don't need to prove anything. And The reality of it is the up and down is all fine when you're younger because you're like all full of piss and vinegar and you want to create a legacy. But at the end of the day, how the fuck are you going to pay? How are you motherfuckers going to pay your bills? What are you going to do when you're 75 and you get Alzheimer's or whatever? How the fuck are you going to pay your goddamn bills? Who's going to take care of you? You're going to live on your goddamn dreams? Seriously. (laughs)
2: No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that, that is all that people were telling me when I was a kid, but did, there was no options for someone like me. It was like, I was great at doing art, and it's like, I could do this as well as, what am I I going to do, Moulins? I mean, I, you don't, I don't have to worry about to it worry now,
0: because you're still young enough, but like, you know, I'm looking at it like, at this stage in my life, and again, I'm very, very fortunate. Like, out in the day, people would think I'm 15 years younger than I am. Very fortunate person. Uh-huh. And I've got good genes and all that kind of stuff. But I'm looking at my parents and they they're, you know, youthful for the age. My father's deceased, but my stepfather and my mother. And my mother's probably gonna live a long time just because it's just good genes. But I have an uncle who is this amazing man, he took such good care of himself and a real really strong person in my life. And he's like in his mid seventies and he's got MS and he's oh, got horrible. dementia and that's it. And uh, and he worked for a good company, everything's taken care of. So did my my stepfather worked for the state, so he, of New Jersey, so he's taken care of. Like we don't have these realities, and I'm like looking at that, and that's really not that far away for me. Mm-hmm. If you're in your late 30s, you're a full blown adult, but you're not thinking about these things, mm-hmm. you know. So the, for me, that puts everything in perspective. Who cares? The ego is one thing where you're kind of like you want your ego fed, and you you know I was extremely influenced or like motivated by my ego. But at this point it's kind of like, well, is that really that important?
3: But You also want to do something meaningful with, you know, like, li- like life is so short, like, li- like life is so short. And that being said, most people work, whatever, eight to 12 hours a day. That's a long day to do something you hate. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah. Um, but you know
0: what? You're still young. So like meaningful, whatever you're in, everyone's situation is different. Right. So I feel like I did something meaningful in my life, quite frankly if I don't want to have to do this, but if I had to go out and just get a job and do something and be, like, you know, a cog in the wheel, I'm happy because I, I was able to do that. Yeah, you,
2: already, yeah, you did something.
0: You, you know, so it all depends I, about... I,
3: I can't see you being a cog in the wheel for, like, over eight minutes, by the way. You, you, <laughs> you might be
0: right about that. Think, we'll see what he, fucking he, happens. I think you
3: so. can be a see. horrible cog in the wheel. Perhaps. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: but, at the end of the day, there's realities here that you have to deal with in regards to... You know your life and like realities. Like we talk about the dreams and like I could talk to you about all these different people I've experienced. I've had I've had experiences with, be it like great artists, musicians, actors, whatever. You know, business people. But at the end of the day, when you're like whatever, like you you're you're getting your nutrition through a tube because your life you weren't healthier or just whatever happened. I have a friend who just had like who called me the other night and he. Had he called my, my friend of mine called me on Saturday night at eleven thirty? Never calls one of my closest friends. And Maybe I shouldn't say this. Don't I mean people would know who he is. Maybe some people who ever listen to this, but he called me and he said he had two brain tumors. Mm. He just found out, and we spoke for an hour. And he's like, "I'm getting a, a surgery on Monday, and this is this might be goodbye." And he's fifty two years old. So, sorry. so and I, you know, it's life, you know, thank you.
2: But in the, in that way, wouldn't you want to, I mean, better to burn out than fade away? No, way, like,
0: fuck <laughs> that. He's married <laughs> with two kids. His kids are in there. They're like 17 and like 15. No, 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 no. no. I, I feel like you misunderstood me.
2: Wouldn't you rather, if you're out at 52 anyway, just... Follow whatever makes you happy rather than go for that security on the back. You know what I mean? No, I'm saying? if
0: you have, you know what it depends what your situation is. Or any you're you're married. I have a so, husband. That so,
3: was a real job? I maybe mean, maybe. That's right. It, so that's partially a All to keep anything, That's yeah. right.
0: So you have to think about that. And I'm not busting your balls, but it's like what your situation is. Like everyone it's not fair to talk about it in this general way because it all really depends on what your situation is. Like. And, and and that's where it's at. It depends on what your age is, it depends what your motivations are, it depends like what you have that's supporting you. You know, almost everybody
2: on that's been on this show, probably except Kurt actually, had some sort of net and some sort of support. Like, if you find someone who calls himself a
0: professional artist, I think that's just fucking lame. money. I'm going to say that real loud. That's lame because that's not life. (laughs) That's not and that's not been my life. Story behind it. That's not my fucking life. Not mine either. I mean, we're so that's a bullshit. You brought it up earlier. I was like, well, you know what? Yeah, there's a lot of rich people in the art world. You know what? I don't fucking hang out with them Uh because you know what? They don't really interest me. No offense, if you guys are rich, I don't know, but like, and I don't really judge people based on. I have friends who come from a lot of money, and that's not my connection with them. Uh-huh. But if they come off that way and they're entitled, I have no fucking interest in that.
3: I mean, were we talking about it last time around, where Josh was saying that he grew up with very little money, but the net is like being able to go home if like all shit hits the fan. Mm. And uh-huh. I feel like I feel like that's kind of like. And I have that. It's worth actually, more
0: than money. Yeah, and yeah, I have the, that. I don't even have that. Yeah. yeah. So that's another perspective.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're
0: all nervous. God bless you on like, that. Like, yeah, that's another like, perspective.
3: And I feel like for me, like I've always had that, like. Right now I'm also yeah, married to someone was with a real job. But um but yeah. but even even before for that freedom. for um yeah, before that it was always like and even now it's like if the marriage doesn't work out, if the art doesn't work out, like I can always move back home. Like, I mean like it wouldn't be great for anyone <laughs> like me, me or my parents or whatever, but but, but like but I feel yeah, but like you know what? that would, gives you more freedom. Than, Not
0: for nothing, it would be acceptable. These are things, you know, it would be acceptable it's still to some extent based on gender. You can, like, smack me if you think I shouldn't say that, but still okay, in this we're world. are not very politically correct. You know, time's up, Jonathan. Time's no, no. Up. You know what? My mother was a single mother. I grew up with a single mother, and my mother, my father left when I was one. My mother got remarried when I was 12, and that's what she did. She we, we lived in one part. My father left. He was out of the picture. I saw my father five times. I remember my whole life. Last time I saw him was 10, and the next time I saw him was a month before I turned 20, and he was laying in a coffin, and he was dead. And that was it, you know, and so whatever, you know, it's like, and then I had a stepfather and I was raised by my, mostly by my Italian American grandmother. And where was I going with this? I think it's given you
2: so much grit. You're, you're, you know, you're edgy, you're grit, you're scrappy as fuck. I think like all these stories, you're like tenacious, like a bulldog.
0: I am because I have to be. Well, me too.
2: Yeah, but it's impressive. Even, you know, it's like I've, I've met my rival here. <laughs> it's <a> I was <nation's> <laughs>
0: getting back to you. Like, you know, sorry.
3: You can, t- you can totally pay. Do you, you, you yeah, to watch a baby move? For yeah, context
0: Jonathan is
2: feeling a baby. I have
0: a, a lot of friends who have babies. I've been fortunate to be uncle to a lot of children. So, yeah.
2: But here's what I want to do. I want to wind back because I feel like I, even me, I'm a little lost. Like, free-floating... What did it look like we're talking post two thousand eight, post crush. What did it look like before in the nineties when you were? Oh, well, so that's that that interesting that
0: you guys cars? should mention that because all this stuff that I think people sort of take for granted in regards to the internet and this market. in the nineties, like all these like some like so at the nineties I met Ron English, right? And oh, I always English have to talk about cool. Ron English because he's sort of somebody who He's a friend of mine a long time. We don't see each other enough, but I feel like he's like my cousin. Uh-huh. And I venture to say he would probably say that about me.
2: You should get him on the show for us. I, I could like get you on the
0: show. He's, a, yeah, yeah, he's an interesting, totally interesting dude. He's a total weirdo. Yeah, he's cool. And Cool. Dude, he's cool. He's totally cool. cool. It's like Beavis and Butthead, right? Are you making fun of me? No, I'm <laughs> <he's> just <not. laughs> so, um But I met him when I was 26 years old. So that's 24 years ago. And back then, there was we weren't on the internet, and there was a very and juxtapose that just started coming out. Yeah. And before that, culture was different. And I could talk about culture in depth in terms of my experience with culture and underground culture. I like to hear it. My business comes out of underground culture.
2: That's right. Uh-huh.
0: So that... Talk from, about
2: 90s underground. That's a beautiful culture.
0: 90s underground culture was different than 80s underground culture, because 90s underground culture wasn't as underground. And I was... Part of the 90s, I was in Portland, Oregon, just two years, and part, of, most of the 90s, I was in Jersey City,
4: uh-huh.
0: and I was curating shows at Maxwell's and Hoboken and CBGB's Gallery and at Max Fish, and that was a specific, really Which pivotal...
2: Which, for the li- listener, those are rock and roll, punk yeah, rock Yeah, like, like uh,
0: CBGB's is a famous rock and roll club, and they had a... Gallery next door was a gallery, music club, but for like acoustic music. Uh, Maxwell's was a music club in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is the other side of the river of um, New York, and it was considered the best club in New York that wasn't in New York. It literally was the best place to Amazing. see indie music. In Do you see Bob Mould a lot there? Actually, I did not see Bob Mould uh, there, and it's funny you should bring up Bob Mould because Bob Mould used to date Steve Fallon, who owned that place.
2: Yeah, uh huh. And
0: so that was he lived there for a little while, but I never saw Bob Mould there. I did see. Some really memorable... I saw Fagazzi play there. Yeah, yeah. Twice, yeah. I think. Um, I saw a lot of bands. I saw, saw all these bands before they got really big, like the Squirrel Nut Zippers. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> you remember that band? The Squirrel Nut Zippers. For, for sure, Nuts. very swing yeah. dance craze. Yes, and I saw... Um, I'm trying to think You guys I saw that. I, I saw Dinosaur Jr. play there when they were... They, got, they played secret shows I there. saw
2: Junior's about as good as it ever got.
0: I saw out. them play in 92 there. It was a really?
2: Show. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It was
0: when I was a senior in college. Um... I probably saw so many bands there, I can't even remember, you know? But I I had a thing where I grew up five minutes from this place, City Gardens, which I might have mentioned. You mentioned it, So I saw, like, every fucking band you can imagine there. I used to go to shows in Philly and shows... I didn't see shows that much in New York, but I saw some really great shows when I was a teenager. And then when I was in my early 20s, when I was going to college, right out of the city... I saw stuff, and then I, I was living in Jersey City at one point. I mean, I, I was back and forth. Mostly I living in the Northeast right outside of New York, but I lived in Oregon for four years. Okay. So, but Maxwell's was this music club that I started curating out of, and then I did some stuff at Max Fish, and I'm still friends with Uli, who's the owner.
2: Did, and, was stuff like, I mean, I... I don't even know why I'm bringing this up, but with stuff like selling at these rock. No, not at
0: all, not at all. Here's the thing: it's so crazy about that time. I can tell you so many crazy stories. Like right now, Cause, right? He's huge, right? Yeah. Uh So I knew Cause back. I remember I I was running this gallery gallery for a little while, and Cause used to come in. he was like 23, 24 years old. People, I don't know how many people know this, but he's from Jersey City actually. And I would suspect, and I I can't really. His name's Brian, right? That he came from like a pretty working class you know, Irish-American family from Jersey City. And he was, he is really shy. and He was very shy then. He's an incredibly intelligent person. Mm. And he used to come and hang with me all the time. And I remember going to his studio, he lived in his studio apartment in the Lower East Side. And he, and, and while I was going through like 15, 10 or 15 of these, like, he used to paint his little worm guy with the X's on the eyes. Uh-huh. um On these billboard these, ads that he would steal out of, like, the bus stations. And Barry McGee taught him how to do that, showed him how to get the key. And I was going through him, and he was like, yeah, some people from Europe are buying these for me. They're paying, like, $1,500 for him, $2,000 for him. If I had one of those right now, it's sell for hundred grand. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would never in a million years think this guy was going to be who he is in the world.
2: Uh-huh. Never.
0: Right. Um, so, at the time, it was really underground. At the time, street art was, for me, was Shepard Fairy, Barry McGee, Phil Frost, Cause, uh huh. Ron English was doing this Billboard Liberation Movement thing, which is a whole other conversation.
2: But Shepard Fairy was already sort of known at that point.
0: No, he's pretty yeah. obscure. Pretty obscure. Everybody was obscure. Okay. Oh, you know, that was really about Costs and Rebs, who was like the Get Up Kings, which maybe you guys don't know who about don't know. Costs and Rebs is another conversation. Um, the Get Up Kids, the band? No, they were, they, no, the get up kings. I don't know that. What that means is like they got up, they like, they kind of like, they had their name over everywhere. They okay. like graffitied everywhere, cost and rags. Like cost and rags, fuck Madonna or whatever it was they did. <laughs> and they like basically just, all they did was it was, they didn't have any special like graffiti, like crazy style. It was like these block letters. And wherever you went all over New York City, it said costs, C-O-S-T-S. And revs, R-E-V-E, R-E-V-S. Okay. And that's all it was. was Almost like a conceptual thing. Okay. They're kind of the fathers, in a lot of ways, of street art. If you asked Cause, or Shepard, or Phil Frost, or WK Interact, the old school people, they'd say, oh yeah, Cause and Revs." They were like kind of what came right after graffiti art. Like, the graffiti art kings would be people like... um, crash and and days and i mean so many other people that i'm not even thinking about. So that that's what it looked like. It was very obscure. Okay. It was super obscure. Uh-huh. Um and i would sit around with Ron English and Carlo McCormick. Do you guys know who Carlo McCormick is? Everybody should know who Carlo McCormick is. Let's talk about Carlo McCormick is this uh, dude who i've been he's probably one of my closest friends in New York, although i rarely talk to him and see him and he was close friends can be like that it's interesting well, you just pick up where you leave off it's New York though and New York's a pain in the ass and I live out in Jersey <laughs> yeah. but uh Carla Carlo McCormick was this guy who he's maybe eight years older than me so he's like 58 maybe 57 and but he grew up in Connecticut and he came from like this his mother is Italian from, it, from Italy as we say Italy <laughs> and I think McCormick sounds Irish, so maybe his dad was Irish, but they were like sort of like intellectuals. And he graduated from high school, but he didn't go to college. Came to New York when he was 17, it was all in the arts world and the music world, and he started writing. Hmm. And he used to write for a magazine called, I think it was called the East Village Eye. And then later he would become the, I don't know how I'm remembering this, he would become the senior editor for Paper Magazine. Oh, yeah, sure. So for couple decades actually huh and he was the guy and he still is the guy that blurred the line between like lowbrow culture street culture and high-end culture like he could be promoting barry mcgee when barry mcgee opened at deitch when barry mcgee started showing at deitch and then he could be hanging out at some dinner with like a gozi but at the end of the day he was a scumbag like the rest of us and we'd be out late at night smoking pot and doing drugs
4: hmm
3: Huh. But but do you feel like I feel like that's that's something that your gallery I mean, so Marshall and I guess the first the 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 you know, the guy who was here the sound engineer before Joshua you guys curated a few shows which were kind of trying to blur the line between fine art and comic book and low brown, high highbrow. Uh-huh. I feel like that's what your gallery has been trying to do for seventeen years. I feel like you've kind of succeeded, though. No, we didn't try. We did it. Well, you did it. <laughs> you, you, you did it. But like, like, so, so you did it. But I feel like that line is almost gone now. Like, like no, like, like that conversation. Like, this is a little comic you're book. Art absolute, you're absolutely. I, mean, I
0: totally agree with you. You know what? What happened was because the way the historical context was in regards to the way we experience time and history is changed uh, as a result of the internet. So. Everything was like, everyone's like, okay, we follow this little path and we hope that we're mentioned in this little path. But then this path just opened up like this. And I don't know how to to verbalize this so people can understand what I'm saying. But everything just got way more broad and polarized. So the, the world changed in such a way that it's like you fell off a cliff. Like... Whatever you know, you're like these are the rules, and I'm gonna follow the rules because this is the bubble I've in and then live in, and then the the world changed so much that you're just like what, and you're all of a sudden you're like, you're you're like a wild coyote, you like, we're chasing after the roadrunner, uh-huh. you're like oh shit, and then just like free falling.
2: <laughs> you notice you're falling, then you fall.
0: <laughs> yes, because like, and it's just like people are like, what do I do? Even young people, it's not even like people are like, everyone's like, what the fuck do I do? Because like. The internet just opened up things in such a way that I would venture to say, and, I, and I've, I said this like more than ten years ago. I think we went through a revolution, and people don't realize it. They realize it now, but I don't think they really realize how much we're living in. Like, what the fuck was that movie with Keanu Reeves? The, three the Matrix. We're living in the Matrix,
2: man. In, in, let we're me fully tell you
0: in the Matrix right now.
2: Like I was, I'm reading that um, Roland like Barthes that. book. About camera and him talking about images you absorb change you. So like he was saying like a juxtaposition. Like, well, it's the magazine, you know, but that idea of taking an old photograph of like nuns and then soldiers. Right. And that is something this was like blowing my mind. That's something that say someone like Caravaggio could never come up with that because it didn't really exist like that idea uh, that came from the photograph just tangents just incidentals that you would happen upon are so much more sophisticated than a composer could compose like randomness and now we're looking at so many random images. it's like taking
0: that right uh-huh. we're like talking in the 90s like oh cool these guys are juxtaposing these Uh-huh. Things together, right but right? it was still kind of two or three novel. things and then we took that and we times it up by a hundred and, yeah. and then people just experience and they don't it, and they're like – and they're like – you know, they don't even realize they're like dealing with it and you can't even absorb it. Yeah, it's so
2: fast and we're so like
0: – And we're trying to talk about it.
2: it. Yeah. but
0: I, I, We're I, all I, like I, eat ADD and just out. Like, I, I love so, Ritalin though. I, uh, <laughs>
3: I mean so I, I, know, I know what you mean about the matrix but I feel like people actually like haven't changed all that much in like hundreds of years. Like our life has changed but like our basic desires – I I, really I I disagree. I, mean, me, me and I think disagree we fundamentally
2: change every two years. Well, you know what? Seismically, you know, it's funny. I, was, I think about this all the time. I, I think like
3: we haven't changed in like a thousand. Huh? I think
2: we're so different than we.
0: I think. Oh
2: my God, we're so different.
3: Like, like I think we, we have more opportunity. We're Things are moving
0: too quickly for our brains to manage. Uh, I think I think our
2: sense of humor is so different. Like, it, Dina, if you watch the Three Stooges, you don't think it's funny. No one of our generation thinks the Three Stooges are funny because we're so
0: different. Than I might who think it's us. a little funny, but actually when I was a kid, I didn't get it, though. Right? Because like, it's, it's like the <laughs> world... <laughs> Why is this funny? <laughs> They're so mean not. to
4: each other.
2: Because you. <laughs> we've been so saturated in different culture than what that was. My great-grandfather thinks the Three Stooges are fucking hilarious. Yeah,
3: but okay. But we're
2: so different. It's like a time capsule. Do you capsule. remember the
3: funny bits of Catch We Too? Like is there still, fu- it was they were super funny. When Who thinks written? that's
2: funny except me and you, Dina?
3: <laughs> you, know, you know, what though. So what I'm Sorry. trying to say is that there's more good books and more good music and more good art like around than ever before.
0: I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. No, that is maybe so maybe, maybe untrue, not. I'm not sure. Yeah. That I'm not that sure. Is
2: so untrue. I'm not sure. There's no, <laughs> no, there's a lot more. I can't
1: more, even expound on
3: can you chip in on my side here? I mean, j- j- you, you, yeah, It, here, it like you'd agree with me. <laughs> you think well, I think,
1: been, like when Delacroix was talking about why Beethoven was more accessible to his time period than than Mozart, and I think like what you're talking about in the visual art field is that we're making art that. I mean, when we look at like the main artists. Of our time period, they connect with Jeff us Kim better Kim. than no. Thank you. No.
2: He's the main artist of our time. Who? No, I'm talking like who else? Jeff. Um, also, Jenny, S-
1: also, Jenny Saville. Do
0: you think that... Is that who you think legit. of? Is like also, the, like, there are
1: so many artists that make that make art for our time period that so we there's connect we connect well with them.
3: And there's so many truly good ones. And there's we're going to much...
1: connect well with people that are of our time period. That, that, so that's may, the truth. You don't when look, we look at Boogaroo. Baba I
0: mean Baba Boui. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you're gonna do this. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that way, we, our engineers. We don't should. connect well with him.
1: We don't understand the time period, even though we like the Dutch masters. Then we don't we don't connect as well with them as we do with our own artists because we can't. How can we?
0: Well, because you know you go to school and they're like you're supposed to like this thing from uh, you know 200 years ago from some country unless we're talking about Rembrandt that you don't even relate to and blah 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 because that's how you're being educated.
2: Educated. I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the artist of our time is Jeff Koons unequivocally, and the musician is Justin Bieber. And no! The greatest, the, the, the think biggest movie is Transformers 12. It's I like, think, that's what the
1: topic is. I think movies maybe. and music are more accessible to the common people.
3: But I mean, today. But I mean uh, I we're uh-huh. talking visual art. But I use we can take a break.
0: Yeah, can, can we just, can take, can take you know, a break. Can I just use the break. bathroom? Yeah, we, the, uh, we bored Jonathan have, have so No, much. no, I, he's, he's got break. I've been a break. drinking. at pee, and I'm 50, so i got to <laughs> I can't hold it like you, when kids. Although, oh, no, I don't know. I've been drinking a lot, so... Do we need uh, food? I, I think
3: we're... I mean, I'm, I'm all good be because sad. I eat, like, half of You know, like... How, how are we doing
0: on time? I don't even know. What's the time? time? Yeah.
3: And also, like, we need your final words of wisdom because I, I at least have to what was know, go back to my boring adult life. <laughs> like any, any words of wisdom for like us as artists or other galleries. I think the world
0: is a changing place. You have to be open and flexible, and you have to stay focused on what is important to you. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect because you have a passion, you want to go in a certain way. That it's going to be easy. There was a there's a quote. I love this quote, and it's not the greatest movie. What was the movie with the about the girl baseball team and Tom Hanks was the coach?
2: Oh. A league of their own. That's right. Yeah.
0: There's a great quote. I, was like, I love this
2: There's quote. no crying in baseball.
0: No. <laughs> that was about too. If it wasn't great, if it was something about it, if it was great, it wouldn't be easy.
2: Uh huh. Uh huh
0: great exactly yeah yeah, yeah. if you're striving for greatness it shouldn't be easy so stop being a little fucking bitch <laughs> a little pussy crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On, 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 that note, um, on that note
3: we're done
2: stop being be a, a cry baby thank you, <laughs> <laughs> thank you Jonathan this is great Thank you for listening to the Art Grime Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Also, we're on Instagram at Art Grime Podcast. You can leave comments on the thread or DM us there. We usually see them. Also, Facebook, we're at Art Grime Podcast. You can uh, leave comments, future questions for our guests and such there. Our website is www.artgrimepodcast artgrindpodcast.com
0: Definitely go there for the beautiful images that we post off the artist and don't be shy to donate us money so we could buy some really good booze for the guests.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone. Bye.
0: Bye.